Hello, this is Pam Electric Ghost. We are recording. Do you have a uh, Siri Svegler? Do I have your name? Yes. Right? <laughs> Hi, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I do. Great. Right. So we are recording. This is the Fam Electric Ghost podcast. We interview indie artists from around the world, and we uh, thank you for joining us this morning. So, so um, we sent the questions ahead of time. So we'll we'll start mm-hmm. there. Um, yeah. So, like, we always like to ask all the musicians and songwriters that we talk to, like, when did you first get into music and, like, like, what age did you start? Yeah, I think my very, very first um, memories of singing, grandmother, because she would sing. She was also uh, playing guitar and singing, uh, basically grew up with it. And she would always sing for me. Uh, we would sing in the car and we would sing on trips to kind of kill time. And she would sing for me before falling asleep. So my very first songs are basically like Swedish lullabies and she would sing to me. And those are also songs that, you know, have stayed with me forever. So, so as a singer-songwriter, is your voice your primary instrument, or do you play other instruments like piano and guitar? Yeah, I, I play piano and guitar, too. Uh, guitar was my first instrument um, that I uh, started pretty, like, relatively late, I would say. I was early 20s, um, and I picked up a guitar, and it was like, uh, it was just, it felt like home. It just, I, I had it in my hands and very quickly, you know, played my, played my first chords and very quickly just started writing songs out of that. So it really felt like home right away. So is the guitar like your primary writing instrument? Yeah, I would say so. I, I use the piano as well, but it's more, mm, piano is now more a way for me to maybe like, check a key if I'm learning some uh, material from other projects or to kind of communicate what key I need something in or, or check some things out I it's one of those things that's on my to-do list that I want to sort of develop my skills on piano and um, yeah who knows maybe now is actually a good time to do that yeah well piano I'm a, I'm a keyboardist you know producer mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I started when I was 17 you know I was a yeah. child of the new wave i'm in my 50s and so as, oh, wow. as soon as i saw bands like new order and depeche mode joy division the cure i went to pawn shops and found Moogs and rolands mm-hmm. jupiter five sixes and fours and and i just started you know learning by watching mtv and it's like watching oh, yeah. what, watching what the bands actually had on stage because back then you would see they had a prophet five or they had a jupiter eight and I just would just, you know, kind of play to the video. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, Great. So, yeah. So, it's, you know, in today's world, you know, with MIDI controllers and DAWs, like the, the synths or even this MIDI keyboards are a good way for even people who don't know piano seem to like producers yeah. are, are deriving everything. Yeah. It gets into another question a little further down, but. When mm-hmm. you you said you basically you know you started very early with your your grandmother in the in the in mm-hmm. the songs. Um, when did you realize that you had a talent to write your own songs? Um, I think it came sort of like uh, I think I mean, for a long time I I kind of actually questioned my talent as I guess as most artists do <laughs> sometimes we doubt a lot, uh, but I realized I had a lot of fun with it really early on I I started kind of writing more a little bit sort of sarcastic songs kind of joke songs and uh and then my friends really said hey Siri you should continue this is great and I'm like hmm yeah well I am having lots of fun with this and um I think I um it's been like a gradual process because at first it was more just like a fun thing for me to do and then uh, as time went along and I, I got sort of feedback or actually feedback from people that a specific song touched them in a certain way. And, and I realized that, wow, this is a way to like really connect and uh, kind of gave me like a deeper, um, uh, yeah, like a, a deeper relationship to music and songwriting in general. 
um, that I felt it was a way to really uh, to really connect. Yeah, I find that a lot of times, like I was a poet before I was a keyboardist, mm. and I I had a big love of Victorian poets and like uh, William Blake, Tennyson, Wordsworth, and I wrote all this stuff that yeah. was in that style. But I said, well, that's not really going to work with like new wave music or electronic music, but it could if I if I adjust it. So a lot of my yeah. poetry started to get adjusted because I was, you know, paying attention to songwriters like Lou Reed and Dylan and Oh, beautiful. And oh, yeah. You know, if you look at, you know, Dylan, Dylan takes all this really deep poetry and deep literary influences and it turns it into either Americana yeah. or folk or, you know, Woody Guthrie or Arlo mm-hmm. Guthrie type stuff. So you can, you know, take poetry and adjust it or take your diaries and adjust it. So when it came to your lyrics, did it kind of come from diaries mm-hmm. or poetry or did it come from just like, okay, it's the song in the moment. I just came up with it. Yeah, that's a really great question, actually. Um, and it's so funny that you mentioned that because my style has changed a bit over the years. And the very first songs I wrote were very much diary uh, based. It, they were more like poetry or, or sort of prose that I had written um it took me a few years i would say to kind of until english became my writing language because i mm-hmm. grew up in sweden so at first i wrote my very first poetry was in swedish and then i lived in london for seven years and when i lived there i started writing more and more in, in english so the very first songs were literally you know <laughs> notes that i had written when i sat somewhere in a little cafe or you know just like impulses and inspirations that I had had and that then later on got, um, I I always found it very, um, I always got very quickly inspired to put music to these words. I mean, sometimes, you know, obviously have to tweak it a little bit here and there to sort of rhythmically fit it, or maybe you change a word to make it rhyme in a better way. But the first songs were very much like that. And then over the years, a little bit, it has changed as well. And sometimes I might have a melody or more like a song phrase right away. And then I build build it from there. But then it's a song from the beginning. But my very first ones were actually, just like you mentioned, also uh, poetry. Yeah, I found yeah, it's, it's interesting with poetry because a lot of my poetry, you know, I have all these books, notebooks full of poetry. And I found mm. I had to take lines from like multiple poems to get them to work yeah. as songs. It's like sometimes I'd have ideas cross a bunch of poems and then, yeah. then I kind of yeah. look at it and then, you know, I think about it. Then I kind of would run some of my synth stuff and then kind of stream of consciousness be informed by what I had been, you know, looking at. So I had been looking at my notebooks, mm-hmm. looked at like five or six poems, then, you know, started running my 808 or running my Moog drum machine or something and then just kind of go on a mic and this kind of stream of consciousness kind of beat poetry type of thing and then i found it yeah. i was a real a big fan of lou reed like i said and like dylan yeah and so i said well if i can yeah. and i read a lot about dylan how he did stuff and um he mm. tended to do this kind of stream of consciousness that was informed by stuff he wrote so he, he would write all this stuff and then he kind of you know listen to bobby robertson and the band or listen to whatever his backup band was doing and kind of you know mm-hmm. bring it in it, you know because it was at the top of his head what he had been working on and he did it to work with the music and this kind of stream of consciousness oh, wow. kind of feel and that's been my style yeah that i felt hey, it's actually gotten better and better just because like if you write for a long time you kind of know mm. what to do when you hear a melody or you hear your piano or you hear yeah. something then you kind of it's yeah. in your head it's in your consciousness and the muse is calling it but it's a lot of stuff all your reference points are kind of in your in your like your your toolbox as a musician yeah 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 no I actually really I I love Lou Reed as well and um what I uh, listened to a lot to um uh was also uh Leonard Cohen yeah yeah and for me you know you can almost hear it like in in these lyrics that it's it's a story and a lot of you know the songwriters that I I love to listen to and and singer songwriters this is very much what really uh, captures me is the fact that from the beginning to the end a story is being told like it's not just about uh, the hook yeah, yeah. or anything but it's literally it's storytelling and it's touching and it moves me. That's really interesting because we're kind of in a hook driven 
clip based, you know, world oh, yeah. that we have yeah. all these producers and they're all using DAWs and everything's on the grid. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of things are sampled, yeah. a lot of things are clip based and they're all looking for the groove. But like you have, yeah. you have a sense of style that like it, you remind me of Nora Jones, like the song, like, I don't know why I hear like, oh, thank like, you. <laughs> King, like tapestry, like songwriting, which it kind of goes back oh, to the core you. of like the female singer songwriters in the seventies, you know, like Carol King and tapestry. Mm. It's all stories. It's all like, yeah. it's all stories, you know, even you get to the eighties, you have somebody like a Susanna Vega with like solitude standing or yeah. Tracy Chapman. And, Absolutely. And that is, I've always been a big fan of singer songwriters, whether the female singer songwriters or male singer songwriters, just because like what you said, the, the, the telling of a story and, and mm, the honesty, you know, the honesty of that story is more important <clears throat> than, than maybe the hook. And it becomes the hook, you know, the songwriting yeah. itself becomes the hook. And I think some songwriters yeah. have forgotten that if you craft something with a lot of feeling, that that can actually mm. kind of be the overriding theme. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I have that sometimes that feeling too when I listen to music uh, today. I mean, I I can. I mean, I I would say I have have a very broad spectrum yeah. of the music I like to listen to, and I you know I I I would say I'm very positive. I, I always try to find something in in everything, um, and I I can listen a lot also to charts, you know, and it can be great, and it can be really hooky and but what sometimes I'm missing is that there's a sense of mm, the dynamic in the storytelling that I sometimes miss and it's almost like you can hear this sort of tension or this sort of uh, concentration that happens when you know a band goes into record that maybe earlier was more the case that actually now we're recording and you know we have to get a good take like this this philosophy of getting a good take with how music is produced today, I think that in certain genres, that maybe lacks a little bit because you can so easily punch in somewhere or like do another take and maybe a little bit of this kind of, um, yeah, energy of like, okay, let's, we're recording now, you know, uh, that I sometimes hear in older music that it's not that, that kind of, it's so subtle, but it's like a little bit of a magic of, of that. Yeah. Take, well, you know, yeah, I think also a lot and... of people have forgotten that some of the greatest music has errors in it, mm. has, ac- mm-hmm. has accidents in it. And the prob- yeah. problem with some of the DAWs, not that I don't use them, and there's a lot of artists I've interviewed, you know, DJs and hip-hop artists that can use these tools in really innovative ways. Um, but, but, mm. but what happens sometimes is like there's a strive to make it sound perfect. And, you know, XL yeah. on Main Street doesn't sound perfect. If you actually deconstruct it, no. there's a lot of errors that producers today probably wouldn't allow to go through. And that's a yeah. problem if you think about it, because if you take that record, it's got, you know, mm. Keith Richards playing is not really on the beat. And, you know, mm. would they would a, would a producer allow a modern guitar player to play like that? In a lot of cases, no. And, and that's a problem in terms of like art. If you take all the yeah. randomness out of something then that's some of the beauties yeah. getting like, distilled. And so I think some people yeah, yeah. have to realize that it's not the perfect take, it's the feel. You know, I'm more of a jazz-based guy. the feeling. Yeah, I mean, jazz-based mm-hmm. musicians oh, cool. are always going to have more feel, yeah. you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I have. I, I, I would say the, the guys in my band, are they're all jazz musicians as well. And we very often, you know, it's it's not about this, uh, you know, we're not music robots, you know, there's a human factor to it and a feeling and sometimes, you know, mistakes can happen as well. And they can be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, some of the also. greatest mistakes on great, you know, Eric Clapton records, Beatle records, it's it's what made the song, you know, maybe a, like yeah. a, a key change that you shouldn't make. But you did, and mm-hmm. then it actually made you go yeah. in a different direction, or or rhythmic change, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. used a chord that really should normally wouldn't be used, but it sounded interesting, and maybe if nobody yeah. else ever did it, and that's the problem sometimes yeah. with music. If nobody else ever did, it, then sometimes the producer and engineer yeah. said, "We well, take that out," and and maybe that's not the right decision, you know. So so as an artist, I think today you have to really stand up for what you believe in your music, 
or a lot of times producers yeah. will try to totally run the show and that's not bad if you don't know what you want but if you do know what yeah. you want as yeah. an artist you have to kind of strive to keep the original intent of what you were doing <laughs> absolutely or or to protect that the feel yeah protect the <laughs> so feel. i don't have a problem with all like, these tools yeah. but like really try to maintain yeah. the, the, the the honesty of what you were trying to do um absolutely the honesty yeah that's yeah, that's that's my it. main thing when i i talk to musicians is like and i like that's why i like to talk to singer songwriters rather than just vocalists that potentially didn't didn't mm. write their songs because there's something about mm. the singer songwriters like it's getting into the window of their heart and their soul because they're the person that did yeah. write it and so if, if you're talking to an artist where they didn't even write their music not that you know vocalists and singers are artists but I tend to focus mm. when I talk to people about the people who actually have that singer-songwriter tradition, which um, yeah, yeah, to me, it just feels more authentic. And that's just my, my choice mm. on who I choose to talk to. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah, so I think I, we've talked about like who, who your, your writing influences are. You, Leonard Cohen, you mentioned Lou Reed, but like mm. I said, I found name mm-hmm. checks on people but if people were asking you like who your influences or reference points are, you know, may, are there other people that you're influenced by maybe that we wouldn't yeah. know? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, that, that you wouldn't yeah. know. Maybe you wouldn't know. Maybe you didn't that expect you know. that you would be influenced by. <laughs> oh, uh, anything unexpectedly. I mean, I, it, there has been quite a lot of, uh, I would say sort of more like, progressive rock bands uh like Swedish ones that yeah. were kind of more like that I, I would say that maybe my parents listened to that were more like sort of political mm-hmm. <laughs> political rock bands and uh, you probably wouldn't have heard of those but they had just really amazing and alive uh, lyrics mm-hmm. and they also um there's one called actually uh, uh National Theater. It's called the it's 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 a Swedish name it's called the National Theater it has nothing to do but, but, but theater though, but mm-hmm. that's what they were called. And they also made actually um, records for children where it was like a play. Uh, and, and there was always some, you know, some message there. Oh, like, and, like a rock um, opera? But, or like the... Yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah, it was just really interesting. Like they went through and they were, uh, they, they went traveling and they met troubadours on the way and they sang songs about Vietnam and it was, it was like really I, I was very captured by that as a child and my sister heard it too. Uh, my sister is like 11 years older than me, so it was more her uh, her generation. But I was I listened to it a lot as well, so that influenced me as well. And also actually um, in terms of music with no singing um I've, I've listened a lot to keith jarrett oh, okay. i i love his playing and in general also a lot of uh jazz yeah. too and um and a lot of jazz vocalists actually um which is maybe more um it's not it's not necessarily sing a songwriter but for me it's the same it has a story it has a story and uh, intense emotion like Billie Holiday, oh, Billie uh, Holiday for instance. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> for me, yeah. That's a like great. her voice changed so much <laughs> through from, from the first recordings to the later recording, but the feeling, like the way she touches your heart, like it's not just about the voice. It's really there. there is soul. I guess this, this is what people call soul. You know, it's like the way her yeah, just the way she phrases it and sings it just completely just goes straight into my heart. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you get into the great soul singers like Teddy Pendergrass and, you know, The, the Temptations mm-hmm. and The Four Tops and Marvin Gaye, you get in this kind of soul zone, you know, uh, you know, big, yeah. big fan of like James Brown and just, you know, technically maybe he's not Sam Cooke, but it's the feel, you know, it's like that, that yeah. kind of feel. We created a whole genre of funk. And, and, you know, it, mm. and he did do soul songs in the vein of like a Sam Cooke. You know, there's some songs that were like that, but it's just like, it's like that passion that you get from, you know, yeah. the soul and the jazz singers. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of bands like, you know, uh, like Sun Ra and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Mothers of Invention, Frank Zappa, just because they were very experimental. And I, I'm a big fan yeah. of progressive rock bands like Yes and Peter Gabriel's Genesis. 
Um, mm-hmm. um, just because if you're a keyboard player and you're trying to learn the progressive rock bands like Yes and Genesis, uh, you know, they were the kind of, you know, that's how I'm going to learn. <laughs> just yeah, you could see yeah. the level of complexity and they're mixing classical with jazz and rock and it's kind of like okay well that's that's the way where where i want to live is in that kind of zone mm-hmm. that the keyboard player kind of gives me a wide area to go from because i could go yeah, any direction when i listen to that kind of stuff well, that's always been my focus is anything that's more expansive that's why i kind of named my music expansive because then I, I'm not locked in. Oh, cool. I'm not locked into yeah. any one genre. I can do hip-hop, I can do new wave, I can do punk, which I like a lot of punk yeah. bands. You know, I like The Clash. I like The Sex, mm-hmm. like Joy Division, you know. this The punk aesthetic mm-hmm. is kind of useful in its energy. I think yeah. people saw that with Kurt Cobain because they saw that he could be like yeah. a John Lennon figure, but he could also power out like the remote. But then he had like the depth of writing, like a Beatlesque writing with a punk aesthetic, which was like that. Oh, yeah. That was like very powerful <laughs> to have both of those, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. So when you think about your music, your writing style, it's 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 typical singer songwriter kind of like I said. It sounds in the vein of, of um, the classic songwriters from the seventies. But if somebody's going to ask you, it's like, what what would you tag your genre as? What what would you tell them? Oh, what would I tag? Oh, I think I, when people ask me, oh, what, what style of music do you do? I usually say, well, it's, it's singer-songwriter. It, it's pop, but with uh, some kind of jazzy influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of, Acoustic pop music. I definitely hear that, especially when I was listening to um, your Awake album. And, you know, mm-hmm. I really like um, some of the songs on it. You know, the first track I like a lot. Um, I, I like um, the No Need to Define, you know, So Much Life. Yeah. I, I like the feeling is very honest and very, you know, it kind of pulls you in. And you do mm. visually kind of see these stories. You know, oh, like I like you. the idea of sound paintings. You know, when I listen to music, I like yeah. to be kind of brought into a picture. If you've got a good yeah. narrator. And you, you're you're painting a lot of great pictures with these songs that have this kind of melancholy to them, but they're, they're not you know super mm. sad. But but you know it's it's actually it's cool. I mean I, I like to feel that way. That's why I'll listen to Tapestry or Tapestry or listen to the Carpenters. Yeah, I mean Karen, uh, Karen Carpenter. Yeah. yeah, had this like melancholy was just embedded in her voice. And, and anytime you listen yeah. to a Carpenter song, even if it's both somewhat upbeat, it still had this melancholy yeah. to it. You know, yeah, absolutely. Just kind of the nature absolutely. of her voice, and that that always has been a draw, you know, to me. Like female singers that kind of go in that Karen Carpenter tradition. That's kind of where I'm. Oh, I'm always going to listen to people who sound like that. <laughs> mm, oh, cool. Yeah, no, but it's interesting that you say uh, about the vis- um, the sort of image uh, images as well, because very often when I do. Uh, write songs or when I'm in that space like a lot of it is actually it, it kind of comes to me through visions almost like even so much life it was just this idea of just being in the moment and and having so I think if I say something something like that a bird took flight and landed on my restless mind I really felt in that moment like I could literally hear this bird like leave the branch and take off and and the branch sort of shakes a little bit and you can hear the leaves and just these little sounds of nature and the images that come with it it's very often actually the um, the images in a way that that inspires my songwriting that's interesting because i watched a documentary with george martin you know the beatles producer and he's oh yeah he had said that you know he could have recorded the beatles and he, they initially did like they sounded in Berlin, yeah. like a live band, you know. And then when they got oh. the Sgt. Peppers, he decided to bring the idea of, you know, if you look at like Monet, it's not real. You know, they does, he doesn't represent an actual reality. It's like it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's a variation of reality. So he said, well, in yeah. studio, is, it has the ability to create sound paintings. He actually took, used the term sound paintings and I can color the sound using all these tools. And he had actually done all these um, these um, Peter Sellers comedy records that the Beatles had actually listened to before they signed. 
And and that it, what was interesting about those comedy records is they had all these special effects on them. You had special effects. Oh, right. You had yeah. backwards taping. You had all you know um, orchestras and all kinds of things I- embedded. And so he had this yeah. tool set to kind of bring us to the idea of Sgt. Pepper's. And it was kind of weird that it come from comedy records. And the idea of merging that created this kind of modern day song structure that we get with the Beatles of being able to take an album and make it more like a concept or make it not exactly what you normally heard. You had all these layers Mm. and, and that, and that kind of the visual idea the sound painting kind of starts with Sgt. Pepper's, you know, gets even more refined with Hendrix with um, electric lady land. And then you Mm -hmm. bands like yes. And Pink Floyd to take it even further. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I think that's that's a that's something I've always been drawn into is the idea. I mean, even Hendrix talked about sound paintings when you talk at people interviewed mm. him about Electric Lady. Can you hear birds? You hear like yeah. ocean sounds. He was able to take the guitar and act, make it act like a synthesizer. And so yeah. that's always been like they would be able to color things with either your lyrics or with tools like synthesizers or backward taping or you know uh, granular sounds. Um, you know, field recordings. It's always been something I've been very interested in trying to make it more than just mm-hmm. music or, you know, either use your lyrics or yeah. use the tools to make it have that yeah. kind of a, a capability. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, thanks. That, that's what was really, I didn't know that. <laughs> that's yeah, really well, I'm kind of a music hear. historian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's amazing. But yeah, I think that's what, mm-hmm. you know, always in, in, in makes me very, uh, uh, you know, encouraged when I see artists like yourself who are still, you know, rooted in the old forms, um, which I think mm-hmm. are still, it's always interesting to take whatever tool, you know, I, I get people on my end of side of the world, you know, we're all tied to like analog sense of the best. And then people yeah. denigrate samples and or say, I don't like digital sense, but like I use samples i use digital i use analog mm. you know it's like you, you kind of use whatever services the song and yeah and i i don't put down any modern technology i mean i might put down how somebody's using it because i think mm. some people maybe don't use it in the way i think they could and so mm. so i think that you you know the daw is a good tool and you can do great things with it if you look at some yeah. hip-hop artists have taken the daw and done masterpieces in terms of the the layering of samples in very innovative and artistic ways and other people have been kind of lazy with it um mm. so so it's a matter of it's not that the tool was it's like how you use the tool <laughs> yeah absolutely it's how you use it so like True. we'll get into your this this album that you did um which i've been really listening to because like your most uh, current album awake is it, it's a great mm-hmm. record uh, it just made me wonder, are you working on the, on the follow-up? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been writing uh, quite a bit of new songs uh, that I haven't uh, recorded yet, but uh, I'm definitely working working on new material all the time. And um, I'm learning uh, also myself a bit more about uh, audio engineering and the whole production side of things which is, uh, I guess, quite good nowadays because there's really not that many gigs happening. So it was just a really nice coincidence that I had this uh, course um, that I've been taking and now I actually have a little bit more time to be a full-time student. And we can still get into the studio at campus and practice. So um, that's been also really great. And of course I can combine that uh, with my work that I can uh, practice recording, but also uh, getting the chance to um, practice recording my songs. Yeah, because I kind of was really getting, great. there's a question talks about like music workflow in the digital audio workstation mm-hmm. and like home recording versus traditional recording. So it looks like yeah. you're, you're getting into like learning how to, to actually do some of your own recording on, on these home devices, right? Yeah, I'm I'm like right in the right in that phase, I would say, and it feels like a lot of hurdles to overcome right now because it's um yeah it's... I have uh, yeah it's until this point I wasn't so much in that process of things like I would be working with someone 
um, and now just getting used to working like with, with a big mixer or even learning about like routing and signal flow and all this, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like a parallel universe. Well, it's, it's <laughs> it was there all, all yeah. the time, but <laughs> yeah. But recording engineers are artists in their own right, and, you know, producers. Absolutely. And, oh yeah. my God. And I have so much <laughs> respect for that. Especially now. Yeah, yeah, it's just like there's so many, you know, people. I mean, a lot of times artists, okay, to be a, a musician or a singer-songwriter, it's hard enough to stay in that lane and perfect your mm. work when you take on the recording engineer and producer roles is a whole nother level of artistry. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some people like Hendrix basically got into it because he was doing things that nobody had ever learned how to capture. So, right, so a lot of the yeah. engineers were like, not capturing his sound and so he basically had to learn how to use the board because every time he let somebody use the board they would try to edit out what he was doing and so so sometimes if you're an artist and you're pushing the envelope you kind of have to take it because otherwise you'll you'll hear that they they took out all your sound and that's not what you wanted so you you end up taking on that role just because you you you're so into trying to to formulate that sound that you're like well i gotta control it and, and other artists oh, are yeah. like, okay, well, that doesn't matter as much because I think they can capture it um, mm. um, without that. But, you know, it depends on like like the Frank Zappas and the Hendrixes of the world and Princes, you know, they they felt like they had to control it. Um, right. But in this world with, with COVID, now artists are like, well, mm. I can't get to the studio as easily and I do yeah. want to still produce work. So I guess I better learn how to do some of this stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine that too. I mean, in my case, it was really a coincidence because I had started the course uh, before um, everything with the lockdown. And um, but in, in general, I mean, I'm glad that I get a little bit more chance to uh, spend spend more time on this uh, and to learn it. But uh, God, it's it's uh, I mean, it's a, it's complex. It's it's not easy. And then to uh, to get it to a certain standard, I mean, it's even well, even you, harder. Have you, have you found so, that you can control your sound? Like the one that it benefits, like I said, like once you start to learn it, you can say, "Well, wow, mm. now I can capture things and see how it sounds." And maybe you know the studio becomes like an instrument. And yeah, then that, I, I think that's. Are you finding? That? Yeah, I'm not there yet, yeah. but that's where I want to. That's that's what I'm aiming uh, towards and it will be interesting to see like for now I'm just happier I'm just happy to have um, a bit more uh, that I can communicate also clearer and and maybe take over Mm -hmm. uh, like just have a bit more possibility to start getting creative Um, and uh, so so we'll see where, where where it takes me I'm quite excited but I I try to still stay just in, in the now and just kind of focus because there's so much to learn, I feel right now. So right now I'm like, I try just to stay in today and, and focus on what I need to learn today. And then and then hopefully, you know, in, in a year's time, I'll look back and be like, oh, cool. That, that, this is what I was learning, learning it for. Yeah. So, I mean, it can't so is hurt. any particular, you know, digital audio workstation that you are, are learning on that is your preferred tool? Yeah, I I wouldn't say I prefer. I mean, we we have to learn Pro Tools mm-hmm. for school because that's kind of like the industry standard. Um, even though the last course I had, we were it was like that was the arranging course, mm-hmm. and for that we used Logic, and I felt for me as a Mac user, um, that felt and I had done a little bit of GarageBand before. Logic just felt way more intuitive. Yeah. Um, to kind of get going with, but I, I can definitely see also how Pro Tools have so many different um, possibilities as well. But I am in no way near uh, being a Pro Tools wizard <laughs> at all. So, but I have very, I, I kind of also, that's that's the DAW that I'm working with at the moment because we have to basically for, mm-hmm. for school. That's interesting because I've kind of, I've gone, you know, I started with like Ableton and then I decided to go with hardware recorders. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've kind of gone back to I I was, you know, I kind of show my age, I'm in my 50s. I started with like Tascam and Fostec, like hardware recorders, like real oh, reels wow. yeah. and tape machines that you punched yeah. in and punched out. You did overdubs, yeah. but you didn't have a grid. 
and I kind of, I feel like I have more freedom when I'm in mm. that kind of zone with these hardware recorders. So I'm kind of in this new movement of analog and modular synthesis guys. I have these modes with all these analog wires all over the place. Um, but we, you know, with these type of machines with the modes, they're kind of point yeah. in time and it's kind of like the grid doesn't not that you can't do the grid, but it's kind of like a feel based thing. And so yeah. I find that the, the hardware recording, the kind of 1970s style recording kind of fits what I like to do. And so I've kind of gone, oh, gone a step yeah. back and, and put restrictions on myself. And I feel sometimes like it's, it's good to do that. It's like if you, well, I've heard some people complain with some of the DAWs is you have so many choices, so many mm-hmm. options, becomes overwhelming yeah. and then you can't focus. And then what I like about yeah. the older technologies is like you only have a limited set and then you can kind of yeah. focus on the music. And then absolutely, and that's and, why I prefer a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it's also this thing of like when you have a, a certain um, or, or like say hardware, right? If you have like, you'll get the most, you learn how to handle this one, <laughs> yeah, one thing that you, you have and you get the most out of it rather than thinking, oh, the next thing and the next thing. And, and you know, I, I really also have a deep respect for, this kind of um, really getting to know your own equipment and getting the most out of it before having a bunch of new different uh, gadgets as well. Yeah, because if you're on a hardware tape machine, there's a certain capability it has and you don't have unlimited options. You either get to you get to learn how to do it like 100%. Yeah. And then in that, Absolutely. you become like an expert at it and then you can capture exactly what you want. And it's, it's kind yeah. of feel based, and then later I can process it after I do it. You know, I can bring it into yeah. a digital world. But yeah, yeah I, I think there's a lot of people who have kind of you know, especially guys who use analog sense like Moogs and Profits. We're kind of like into capturing it in an old school way mm. uh, on some of these older machines, just because you have more control over it. Um, right. And it just uh, you know, it's just a choice. Not that you know, it's one's better than the other. It's just what we like to do. But it's yeah. interesting because of the lockdown, um, mm-hmm. a lot of artists have been perfecting their craft. I've talked to artists that are like, oh, I'm a guitar player. I'm going to learn bass. Or yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bass player. I'm going to learn guitar. Or I'm, I'm going to go learn keyboard because I didn't know how to do it. Or I'm going to pick up, you know, another wind instrument. So I'm going to pick up the flute. I'm a clarinet player and I'm going to learn how to play flute better. Um, it seems yeah. like a lot of people are doing that. I've talked to a bunch of artists in the last, you know, a couple months and a lot of them are going in that direction yeah yeah i mean that's great i mean there's really like i i I literally i have no excuse to uh not get up every morning and sit half an hour and just practice um on on my piano Mm -hmm. there's no excuse not to do that i mean i haven't yet Mm -hmm. i mean i've done a little bit more practicing but i i really i would love to have a routine to really have a daily practice and to notice uh, results of course after a while because I think that's with a daily thing like when you really get to that moment like oh wow it's really paying off and I'm I'm getting better at it and I think it's that because at the moment I'm in a place where I'm learning so many different things it feels like mm-hmm. that I'm not yet at the space where I feel like I can really because right now it's just a lot of input and I kind of yeah. longing and I know I have to keep up this momentum because at some point there's going to be this moment where I feel like, oh, wow, this is this is what I'm learning. And I am I'm getting a little bit more uh, better at this. So, um, yeah, no, but there's definitely like uh, sitting down at my piano and, and practicing a little bit is definitely something that's uh, that's for this month uh, with all the gigs again being canceled. It's mm-hmm. uh, something I really want to do. So is there been um, like a lot of times I've been working with some people, some of my booking agents, you know, because we can't go anywhere are, are, mm. are trying to get me onto like um, online venues and online events. And I've been actually doing my own through like Twitch yeah. and Facebook Live and Instagram Live because I have a home studio set up with cameras. And so I'll just like record a session and then push it out. Um but have you thought about like lining up with that or is that some artists have kind of come back and told me, well, I can't really mm. do live on the net because I, I kind of need the crowd. And when I do it, I feel like I fall flat because I don't have that crowd interaction. What are your kind of thoughts about that? 
Yeah, um, I haven't. I, I haven't done. I, I the only thing I did was um, that like that goes a little bit in that direction. And I had a concert for a very limited number of. We had a limited audience, but they were live streaming it as well. Oh, okay. Um, so I've done that. Um, I've never. Uh, no, wait a minute. I did have. I did sing a few songs live. Uh, that was another event. Actually, it was not my concert per se, but I, I was there as a guest singer and um, I sang a few songs and. Hmm, I, I I don't I, I don't think I have enough experience to really feel you know. Because I could still see the audience, like it was a kind of like mm -hmm. a Zoom, <laughs> Zoom yeah, yeah. setting. So I would see the people still. Uh, I mean, those that had their camera on. Um, and I mean, of course, it's like it's not to be compared. But I, I'm, I would be open to. I mean, if the opportunity came up again, I, I think I'd be open to giving it a go for sure. Um, I know a few venues; <clears throat> they had also the opportunity uh to i mean it was sort of um talked about but then it never happened to actually do the concert in the venue with no audience yeah and that's to have a it lot streamed. of that mm. in the states there's a lot of that going mm. on there was a band yeah. from colorado called tennis and they actually went to a student stu tv studio and did like yeah. an hour and a half concert and there was nobody there except the camera crew and you know the sound people and yeah. it was like a paid event. And there's a lot of that, you know, the, the band, the gorillas, yeah. the gorillas is I, getting ready yeah. to do like a concert like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think I would be definitely open to doing that. And I mean, in a way, yes, you don't have a live audience, but uh, also coming from, uh, cause I, in, in the past I did more of acting and, and you're on set and it's kind of like you're on set, you don't have a live audience, but it's still, you are in a way communicating something and yeah, even you know, though it's a camera yeah so you absolutely. kind of play to the camera and so if you have that yeah. acting ability i think maybe it's easier if you're coming from like a bowie-esque field yeah. where you're more theater and it's yeah. part of your show then then i think it's easier i think for bands that are kind of like grateful dead type of bands that kind of feed off a of big audience lot, yeah i think it, that it, would be very it's hard, kind of yeah. hard harder for them because they yeah. can't get the feel absolutely you know? <laughs> so i think it's all, all about what what is what is the what, what's um, how easy is it to adapt to this very new setting and if it's something that somebody wants to try or not or even they might try it and be like oh god that was horrible <laughs> i never want to do that again or <laughs> Uh, or be like, oh, well, that's interesting. Let's uh, <laughs> let's see how it goes. Uh, I think it would be more the, the the latter. Just be like, okay, let's let's see how this goes. I mean, I did when I did this uh, streaming concert. Uh, it was maybe ten people in the audience because um, it was a, a, a rather small venue, so they really couldn't have a lot of people in there, and and with the distancing and everything. But it was quite yeah. sweet because, like, my mom from Sweden, she was able to see the concert. And it was it was just quite nice to know that uh, my near and dear uh, people or my family they could actually be there as well, in a way. Well, I think it's interesting. It's interesting because like like when I started Fam Like a Ghost, I actually was on Periscope and I would do like Facebook Live live from my studio, mm. and I have this whole like stage persona where I get in an LED outfit and I wear like a phantom mask that's like LED, kind of like yeah. EDM. A dead mouse but i have continued to do that since 2016 so i i've been able to keep like a certain set of my fans know i do that mm. and i can get you know like three four thousand people to watch yeah. one of my shows yeah yeah and <clears throat> it's something i've really been doing mm. and i was doing it before yeah, yeah covid so i kind of felt felt it kind of works for me absolutely it's yeah. actually gotten better <laughs> yeah um, I, I think that really also uh plays a big role as well because i think a lot of people who have been into the live streaming and, and this live um on social media before uh, I think the switch has not been a big uh, a big thing to get used to, and I think a lot of it could actually be you know you would just continue something that you had already done. Um, whereas you know if someone had never done that before, it'd be like okay, where do I even begin <laughs> with yeah. this? Yeah. Well, there's all kinds <clears throat> of equipment that you know four years ago when I started, 
you know, and now you can have like, you know, your own video switcher there. Yeah. It's automatic. You have like three cameras, you can have a green screen, you can embed effects. So then if you get into the situation where you actually can charge for it, mm-hmm. like and now Facebook actually allows tickets, um, then you have a show that more likely somebody would pay five dollars for because you're actually you know, have effects and you have, you know, visuals going on or green screen going on behind it. So there's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do if you get into it. It's like the research you yeah. have to do to figure it out. And, you know, in the world where it wasn't COVID, like, why would you spend the money on, you know, three cameras and a video switcher and a, and a you know, online mixer to get it over the net? Yeah. You probably, well, why would you do that? And, but now if you can't play anywhere, it might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> So more and more bands I talk to are like, well, I never thought of doing that because mm. I invested in my RV yeah. and my tour bus and my, you know, my roadies. But now, you know, I don't really can't do that. So yeah. maybe I will mm. invest in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I wasn't before I didn't do really any kind of live streaming. And, and since since COVID, there's been a couple of opportunities to do it. Um, but I've never released in, in terms of like having live um, or any of the, those like, live options like on social media that you can do. I never really I've always been a little bit shy, I think, to do that. Be like, hey, we're live here mm-hmm. and there. Um, but who knows? Maybe who knows how, yeah. how this well, it depends will. on how long, <laughs> yeah. how long it takes a vaccine to get developed before we can get back to normal. Like yeah. In 2021, if, if we're still waiting until 2022 for vaccines to be at like 98 percent efficiency yeah then you know then we might be more we'll see more and more bands switch into like yeah. either playing a venue with nobody there streaming it yeah and getting on you know getting on hbo and showtime with the bigger bands you yeah. know doing that um which i see that happening more and more but yeah, um, yeah. it's just the more mid-range bands i'm trying to you know hopeful of you know being an indie musician you know a lot of musicians make their money from touring yeah and without touring they're losing like a big leg of their support yeah. and so there's got to be a way to get you know there's a lot of bands i've been seeing trying to get their music into video games mm-hmm. trying to do sync licensing yeah you know trying to get stuff into movies and tv i do see in your write-up that you have been able to do the sync licensing probably better than a lot of bands um that i've talked to because you've gotten your music into films and commercials and tv yeah and so that's that's the kind of where people need to be right now (laughs) that's true actually yeah i mean that that, that's where i have um and very very lucky actually i'm very very happy about that too that that was a, a, a large chunk actually of my income this year was this actually if I can call it passive income but actually like royalties from and so it was so helpful right now uh in this phase because a lot of my gigs just fell away but I was still somehow able to have an income during this time very very grateful I mean not to be taken for granted at all so that's really good. Maybe you can talk about like how you were able to do it. A lot of bands mm. don't have that leg. Yeah. At least in America, there's a lot of bands that they, they just heavily tour. They sell mm. their t-shirts, they sell their merch, yeah. but they haven't been able to get into sync licensing. You know, they haven't been able to do that. Yeah. Do you have any kind of hints or, yeah, well, or, or, or how, how you did that? Yeah. Well, how it was for me is that I very early on in Berlin, like I've had the same publisher for, um, since I started basically, and they are not specialized in singer songwriters at all. So it was a little bit of like, okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll try this, you know? So they took me on as a singer songwriter, but what they actually are uh, focused on is, is film music. So they have, they sometimes pitch me along also to, you know, when they have other pitches. So it kind of, for me, it, it, it goes via my, uh, my publisher actually. And they've been doing a, a lot of, of okay. great work actually pitching my, pitching my songs. So I'm very, very That's grateful great. for that. I actually, yeah, I was able to join some organizations that had, you know, I have some publishers that, that are going in that direction mm. and I'm a part of some other like organizations that, actually pitched me in that way yeah and I, I made sure I signed up a couple of years ago to be on stuff like that and you know I think that that's that's just like a lesson you know for every band to kind of look at your publisher look at your agents you know yeah. where are they sending your stuff you know be involved 
a lot of musicians are like, well, I don't want to get into business. Mm. And, and they just are totally focused on the art. But it kind of like, if you're like an independent musician, part of being an independent musician is kind of that, that there's a certain level of business savvy you have to be aware of. <laughs> yeah. And yes. And I, I really think also in terms of, um, because at that point, that's kind of like when, when you, you give your art away to someone, right? It's like, yes, you know, I think every artist wants to be really more focused on creating but at some point you you give you give away your product and i think it's important to know what's going to happen with my product where, where is it going to go you know what are those people who are now in charge of getting my work out there what are they actually going to do with it you know where, where is it going to be what channels is it going to be distributed on what what's happening with it i mean of course uh, at the beginning i i didn't really it also was the same i just wanted to make music you know but then you you go through you might even have a couple of experiences where you're like oh what what's happening now to the music and um i would love to see some statements and and these kind of things and then you start to actually you do start to take more of an interest where what's yeah. currently happening to your product yeah i you want to know what the split is Absolutely, you know, how much yeah. are you getting you know you want to know you know, where are they pushing? What markets are they pushing yeah. stuff into? Are they doing the sync licensing? How much of that, you know, make sure you own your copyrights and your, yeah. like, you know, a lot, a lot of what I do with the ghost, I've created characters, oh. you know, like Josephine Electric <laughs> yeah, is a yeah. character, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I kind of, you know, you know, I've, I've legally set her up, you know, and mm. she, you know, it's, it's, it's a creation through voicoders. You know, I used a lot of electronic gadgets and I decided to kind of go in a Bowie-esque way of actually, creating kind of like the gorillas where you know damon alburn created all these characters like 2d and all these characters in his band yeah i said well you know i like that idea i like what bowie did with ziggy yeah, um, yeah. so i decided to use you know voicoders to create this kind of female or you know alternate version of myself cool. who is josephine electric yeah. and she's the you know lead singer of my band yeah yeah and so i created a whole <laughs> mystique around that and you know copyrights and all kinds of stuff because it, it's kind of theatrical I love it's it. not exactly what yeah. you know what you normally would do but it's like that's that's my yeah kind of edge i mean <laughs> i love it I that's 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 amazing but i think a lot of artists forget like you're saying they don't get a handle on on you know the potential like uh you know being able to put their their music into films yeah. or video games or commercials and they don't know what their agent's doing you know, they don't know what their publisher's doing. They kind of like, okay, well, it's like a black hole and they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So it's cool that you, you actually know where what's going on with your music because some artists, you know, his, the history of music musicians are, you know, some of the greatest artists like Hendrix didn't know anything about what was going on. Yeah, okay, you know? yeah. I mean... <laughs> yeah, you know, and the great, what greatest guitar player ever and he had one of the worst deals in publishing ever done <laughs> oh, yeah it's uh it's, it's sometimes kind of sad to think about this um uh but, but i think also it's like sometimes at the beginning or like when you're just starting out it's it's also the whole thing of even that somebody's taking an interest you know and i think a lot of artists they they sometimes tend to go for the first thing that's being offered because there's a little bit of maybe fear you know it's it's very often like it's Maybe now today, so we have so many more options as well, and you can easily, you know, put your own product out there. And th there's so many more possibilities. But I think that as a young artist starting out, I mean, I think it might be a good idea to really, you know, stay centered and be like, okay, well, I'm going to have a look at a few different options and not just, you know, take the first thing that's being offered to me because it's not always the best for you. Yeah, yeah. Usually, the first deal is is like the worst deal mm, ever. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it, like nobody has any history on you. Yeah. So they they tend not to give you the best your royalty rate. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, do you own do you own your masters? Do you own the, the publishing? What's going to happen if they license it to a movie? How much of that are you going to get? Yeah. You know, and 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 people don't even think about that. Absolutely like, well, I'm not. Just, yeah. I just want to get tour support. I want somebody to send me a van. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think like a, lot, a lot of yeah. <laughs> bands are like, give me some roadies. And yeah, a van yeah, yeah. And God. I'm set. You know? <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of these things you start to think about once you've made the first bad experiences. 
like, oh, what, I don't get my master? <laughs> really? What, what, what's happening to it now? It's like 10 years old. Do I not have the rights now? <laughs> and, and then you start yeah. to think, okay. And, and the, like when you first make some experience with it, that's when you actually start to pay attention to these things. But I think at the beginning, you know, unless you've had uh, a lot of time studying music, the music business side of things, it's not really the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, Legal most aspect. musicians are trying to are trying to get the gig. Yeah, and they'll sign anything to get the gig. Like if oh, if I yeah. can play at CBGBs, I'm going to sign the paper. If I can play at the Whiskey or Go Go, I'm going to sign the paper. Yeah. Right. So a lot of bands, as soon as they get an agent, says they'll get them into the Whiskey Go Go. <laughs> oh, I'm done. I'm yeah. done. It's like I'm just signing. You know, because they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to play CBGBs. Or, you know, boom, they're going to they're going to do it. Yeah. And, and then that's where they kind of get caught where like, oh, the agent's taking 75%. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, you but, know, uh, like sometimes, you know, these are experiences that we, I mean, it's, it's, it's rather not make them, but hey, you know, I, I definitely believe that everything happens for a reason. And if it's a certain experience that I'm meant to have or that we're meant to go through, you know, we go through them and we learn and we can do it better next time. So one question I always ask is like, what, do you collaborate with other artists or writers or? Yeah, I love um, it actually. I, I love collaborating. Have you been doing a lot of collaboration? Yes. Have you been doing I, that? I, I, yeah, I have. It's actually, I, I, I love it because it's just something, um, it opens me up to new ideas and new energies. And I've done, um, I've done a few different things. I've done some more sort of like deep house um, projects two uh where i then have like an instrumental already and i write lyrics and melody to it oh, cool. um and then i record it here and i send it back and uh so we've done a few of those actually we had a, a few years ago um there was like this song a stormy water um that's also mm -hmm. a bit of more house like ele electronic music and uh, every now and then there's there's a collaboration like that. And I, I actually really enjoy it because for yeah, me, it's... Yeah, you said you um, collaborated. Yeah. Yeah, Moon Boudica. Oh, yeah. John Wayne, mm -hmm. so, so you're Master Chris. So, so on some of those, are you just doing like the top line? Yeah. On top of something? Yeah, EDM? yeah. exactly. And recently, actually, even got an opportunity to do a rap. Um, there's like um, a rap artist here in uh, oh, Berlin. Feature. You did a feature. Yeah, yeah. So he raps in German, yeah. and I just we, we just got together and I kind of yeah we jammed a little bit and then yeah and then it just I, I wrote some like the uh, vocals or uh, the um, uh, well the melody uh, in English yeah. then so there's like this little English featured. Um, bits of singing on well, it i think that's really cool because i think it opens you up and like especially when yeah. you cross genres to get into like edm and hip-hop djs and you know electronic music um it, it kind of opens you up because like you know you take if you look at a band like the clash mm. you know they were a punk band yeah. right but then when they got to like combat rock and sandinista they they brought in hip-hop yeah and i think that really changed the nature of like where a punk band can go yeah and you started seeing you know because the clash did it then you had other kind of post-punk bands mixed genres mm -hmm. and it made the music better because it wasn't just stuck in a ramones yeah. style or set pistol style of music if you can open it up there you can bring ska yeah you can bring reggae um, you can bring hip-hop then you have more wide wider audience too yeah absolutely and and i also think that uh, collaborations can really help with uh writer's block and like if, yeah. if whenever you're stuck or something and then you get a collaboration it just okay you know write some lyrics for this and it just opens you up again and you can really bring you into into a new flow that's why i love like when i've ever you know because i'm a one person band mm. but and I have all this equipment, all these drum machines, all these analog sense. But sometimes I'll bring in like a, a, a live drum. Yeah. Or I'll bring in a, 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 a guitar player. Um, and, and, and so I love, you know, I started when I did music, I was in four piece bands, you know, mm. like rock mm -hmm. outfits, you know, bass players, drummers, you know, you know, I'd be a keyboard, kind of like the doors. I'd be in bands that were set up like the doors. Yeah. So I would have a keyboard player in them or like Deep Purple that always had a keyboard player and, or yes. 
And it's it, that live playing. Cause I tend to be the songwriter most of the time. I was the primary songwriter yeah. in these bands. But, you know, when the, I brought something and the drummer took my, my 808 beat and it opened it up to like real percussion, yeah. like a live drummer, it was always like, I loved it. I wasn't like a, a control freak and say, hey, don't, don't do it like I did on an mm. 808. I was like, no, yeah. just do what you feel. Yeah. And I would tell the bass player the same thing. If I wrote a bass part on my Moog, I'm like, I let the bass player kind of interpret it. And, it, you know, nine not times out of 10, I let them take whatever they took out of it yeah. and let it just stay that way. Yeah. You know, and I, I love that kind of collaboration with live musicians. There's yeah. nothing like that. Yeah, no, me too. Have you ever, like, recorded a song with a band and actually wrote it because you were with the band mm. uh, and came up with something brand new because you were actually with a live band? Um... Well, not in terms of like not together with a band, but definitely I sometimes work um, like with the guitar player in my band. We have written a few songs that definitely would not have happened if it wasn't for him and his ideas mm -hmm. and what he brought to it. Uh, and there have been moments where he would, for instance, say, yeah, you know, I have this idea and he plays something and then I get inspired from that so it wasn't really yeah. originally my musical idea it was something that he would bring in but we haven't done that yet with the whole band I think that that's an amazing thing too uh it can be probably tricky as well but um <laughs> yeah it's tricky yeah it's hard because people don't like paying for the studio time yeah like in yeah. the 70s bands used to have enough money from the from the advance yeah that they could go in with minimal ideas and record it all in the studio. Yeah, God, that has and really changed. And a lot of times that, really, that doesn't really happen no. as much anymore. But the result of that stuff is some of the best music, you know, the music I like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it, that those happy accidents of those, it's basically live recording, you know, stuff. Yeah. And, and, and when you do that, there's tendency for things to go in a different direction, which is very interesting musically to me absolutely but, um, I, I would love to do more of that the, actually yeah. i mean if it was possible i sometimes find myself even in sound check or something just the last time uh, we actually had a replacement gig uh for a gig which was supposed to happen in april and we were finally able to do it again in october and it was in a really nice space here uh in is in a jazz venue in berlin and even just during sound check hearing the band and they were kind of jamming a little bit and and even that just gave me a bunch of ideas and I, I was just thinking god how it would be so great to just get together with everyone and, and just do some songwriting yeah my long-term goal because I live in New Hampshire mm. is to actually build like a studio and encourage that type of recording yeah. you know my, my long-term goal for what I want to do when I when I retire because I have a day job it's pretty good I'm an IT guy mm -hmm. so my, my one of my ideas is to build a recording studio in the lake region of new hampshire Aww. and kind of give artists a, a way to get out of the city yeah out of boston or out of new york and have this kind of pastoral setting That'd where they can really jam you know basically encourage like jam sessions to become recordings because i think that actually is, is valuable to the creation of music yeah. and so it's a long-term goal to create a studio that there's kind of primary purpose is to get bands to do that and not charge them crazy money mm, oh that's beautiful <laughs> for do, for do, long term for, for doing that <laughs> yeah yeah it's, that's the idea but uh yeah because i think there's something missing in music when you can't do that um and i just feel that you know in the way i do this podcast for free i think there should be a certain level of stuff that just is done because kind of back in the in the 60s there were a lot of bands that were just part of these communes and they would just, you know, do it like the dead. The dead was kind of like they never made money yeah. on their first concert. They were all free, you know. And it this idea of having this kind of communal kind of just in service of the music idea yeah. um, is just something I'm trying to, you know, get a collective to get into that. Beautiful. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, it's great having you on the program. Yeah, and, uh, so it, happy when you that have we a new finally. <laughs> if you have a new project. Mm -hmm. Um, we love to have other artists come on to like push their next set of work. Um, so when you have another album or a single you want to promote, we, we encourage you to come on the show. Great. Yeah. And, um, Thank you. Yeah, I will. I will. 
it might take a little time gonna... before the next one, yeah. but uh, it was fine. <laughs> really well, nice to. Uh, well, we've seen people six months to a year after. Yeah, know, great, wonderful. The first interview. Yeah, no, thank you so much for for having me on the show. Well, this will get published today mm-hmm. uh, before before noon. It will be on. We're on eleven podcast platforms. We are actually part of Spotify. Anchor FM is a Spotify company. Okay. So we will be on Spotify podcast. We'll be on Apple podcast and uh, Radio Public Overcast. There's 11 platforms we're on. And so this is going to like automatically publish to those, all those 11 platforms throughout the day once I get it right. put together in the next hour or two. And we'll send you the link to the Spotify version, the Anchor version, and the Apple version. Wonderful. Um, so th- so thank you yeah. for being on the program. Everybody go out there and uh, regular. Yeah. Um, please, you know, check you know, fans of your music. I always tell people, like, if you can get the album on Amazon or iTunes mm-hmm. and, and purchase it, remember, like, artists, you know, it would appreciate that. It's a, it's a good idea. Yeah. To, if you love the artist you, you listen to, don't just stream it, you know, purchase it and download it for any artist you love, yeah. including uh, Siri. Oh. So. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time. It was so great to hear you as well. Very inspiring and work you Thank do. You. Yeah. So we'll see you next time. Okay, Bye. great. Have a good